On today's show, the Atlanta Hawks blow another second-half lead up by as many as 14 points after halftime against the Thunder at home, and the Hawks basically could not make shots. After that, the second half was a below-average offensive performance for the Hawks, to say the least, and that led to what became the fourth loss in the last six games. And in each of those four losses, the Hawks have blown a double-digit lead. We'll get into all of what transpired and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1363 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday here in early December. And today's show is brought to you by PrizePix. First time users can have 100% instant deposit match up to $100 if you use the promo code LOCKED ON. That is prizepix.com, promo code LOCKED ON. And today's episode is going to be myself diving into what became a home loss for the Hawks, 121 to 114. Before I dive into all of what happened in this one, I want to encourage you to make us your first listen each and every day on the Locked On Hawks podcast. You can find us across podcast platforms Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in radio, Odyssey app, and we're also on video over on YouTube. Before I start the podcast, though, talk about the game, I want to shout out my friend, Bob Rathman, close personal friend of mine and of all Hawks people, basically. Unfortunately, Bob had a medical emergency on the air during the pregame show on Monday evening, and the Hawks and Valley released a statement shortly after that saying that he briefly lost consciousness on the court. Uh, emergency medical professionals on site quickly treated him for dehydration. He is now stable and responsive and was going to Emory Midtown for further evaluation. That's all I know for now. Definitely scary uh, in a lot of ways. I know I was uh, emotional just about it, honestly, even uh, being on scene and all that. I've referenced Bob on the show many times, and he's been a guest on the show before, and I count him as a personal friend. Honestly, he's been awesome to me, and even beyond that, he is one of the best people that I know, so I want to say that at the top of the podcast. I didn't speak for everybody around the Hawks. I know I'm wishing him the, qu- the quickest of recoveries and great health moving forward, so kind of a somber tone at the top of, uh, of the game tonight and then up at the top of the show, and um, obviously things are more important than basketball, and that is one of those things. So shout out to Bob Rathman. Hope he's uh, listening to this if he's okay, and uh, I and he's definitely uh, someone who always gives me feedback on the podcast. And uh, we're thinking about you, Bob, and uh, all of that stuff. So, all right, a pivot to basketball now. Uh, pre-game-wise, as far as this game coming in, obviously all of the stuff around Trey Young and Nate McMillan. If you missed it, I did an emergency podcast on Sunday talking about the report from The Athletic and Sham Sarania and Sam Amick. We'll touch on more of that later on in the show. I'm going to play some audio for you from Trey Young at Shootaround on Today on, on Monday, and also Nate McMillan in his uh, pregame uh, kind of you know statement that he prepared to deliver about the situation. So I'll say that for the end of the podcast. If you're wondering where, where that is, it's coming at the end of the show. I want to talk about the game first. Um, as for the game, though, the Thunder have been playing better basketball this year than you might think. I thought about a little bit on the preview that was uh, that I kind of used at the end of that podcast yesterday. Oklahoma City came in at ten and thirteen, and while they're thought of as a tanking team, they're not really playing that way this year. They've been feisty they're not fantastic they're not overly talented at this point without chet some of the injuries they have and etc but they are a well-coached team they play well and this is not like losing to let's say orlando last week orlando is uh let's just say in a much worse place detroit even in a much worse place charlotte etc they're uh not a group they're not obviously they're, not that they're good necessarily the thunder 
they're not terrible either. So keep that in mind. Um, Injury-wise, the Hawks were without Collins, of course, still in this one. Hunter is still out, and then Trent Forrest remained out. Justin Holiday was actually uh, available to play, ended up not playing, um, coming out of the protocols in this game. So then it's um, went to Jarrett Culver and Vic Krejci, so keep an eye on that moving forward. He was available to play, though. And the Thunder scratched Kenrich Williams before the game actually started. It was a notable loss for them, actually. He's one of their better front court players. The Hawks were favored in this game. According to our friends at Bet Online, they were about five and a half, six-point favorites by the time this game actually started, which is appropriate. And that's anytime you lose is a home favorite in this in this league on on you know basically two days rest that's not great especially when you are the team that was winning for the most for the majority of the night but that's all the context that we'll throw out there at the top of the show um as for the game itself um okc is very small in general they play kind of a five-out offense they make it a lot difficult on you because they don't have a lot of plotters they have a bunch of guys who can shoot and a bunch of guys can handle the ball and it's a difficult matchup in some ways with basically they're playing Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Mike Muscala at the five and then a bunch of wing size players around them. They don't really have anybody that's like super small either in terms of guards. Uh, most of their guys are six, five, six, six or, or taller, kind of a weird, um, I, I guess, modern team, kind of like Toronto in that way. Kind of a sloppy start to this one on both sides, but the Hawks did finally make some shots early on. Murray and Griffin made some threes in the early going. DeJounte had 10 points in the first uh, on his first six shot attempts in the first, like I don't know, seven minutes or so. Trey came out of the game mid-quarter as he has been going to a lot. They went to Bogey in that spot, and then he came back in quickly as he usually does to, to Trey. It was the first time that Trey and Bogey had played together this year, of course, because Trey was not available on Friday. Uh, Akongwu came in in his usual slot, and then it was the backup forwards were Jarrett Culver and Vic Krejci in this game. I wouldn't say a surprise, but if I had guessed coming in, I would have guessed that Justin Holiday would get the Vic Krejci minutes. That didn't happen in this one. I'm not sure if Justin was up to speed after missing, basically not being able to do much for the last few days, but um, Vit was, you know, kind of hit and miss in some ways, but he got those minutes and it was uh, a lot more Culver. And, uh, you know, Vit was basically like the backup, you know, he probably the 10th man, sorry, the ninth man in this game. Um, Bogey had a couple of vintage, vintage, vintage bogey moments at the end of the first quarter. He fired a three, just rose up over a contest and with confidence and buried that. He had two more threes late in the quarter and actually had one rattle in and out at the end of the first quarter. He was uh, definitely firing all cylinders early in this one. And the Hawks led by two points at the end of the first quarter, despite having zero of its rebounds, four turnovers, and two free throw attempts. They shot the ball well, basically. Hit six threes in the first quarter. That's very helpful. And then defensively, they held the Thunder down to below average efficiency. The second quarter was more of the same for the most part. The Hawks had a nice 12-4 run early on. That included the Hawks having six threes, uh, sorry, seven threes in the first 16 minutes. There have been full games this year where the Hawks did not have, the Hawks did not have seven threes. And Bogey had four of them. Uh, spoiler alert, though, the Hawks cooled off quite a bit in this one after some hot shooting in the early going. That 12-4 to run gave the Hawks a double-digit lead. They were not, um, notably, running a Murray plus bench unit. A lot of times this year, they kind of asked DeJounte to almost carry that unit by himself. In this game, they staggered it, they staggered it more intentionally. They kind of put Culver... Um, in the game as a backup, in particular, especially with Vite without there, but definitely with Culver with Trey. And then when they went to the be- to the bench unit, it was Murray, Griffin, and Johnson. So three starters plus Bogey and Akongwu, who are their best bench players, basically. And they used that group with Trey and, with, with Trey and Clint on the floor, which I actually kind of like. More of a balanced attack, and that was effective in the first half. Less so in the second half. Um, Culver was good, I thought, before halftime. He definitely cooled off like everybody else did in the second half with his uh, effort and stuff like that. But I think he played well. Conway had a couple of big dunks. I thought he was a good matchup for him overall against Oklahoma City. He's a little bit smaller than some other teams are. They brought Trey and Capella back, as they usually do mid-quarter or so in the second quarter. Uh, Hilariously, Kevin Chenard and I both both, uh, reacted similarly to this. Capella had a fake DHO dribble handoff for a layup. 
Uh, and that was just beautiful and kind of out of nowhere. Not usually a play that Clint makes. That was a one, one for the record books there. But OKC just wouldn't fade. They kept making shots and they hung around and that ended up being kind of a, a death sentence for the Hawks later on in this one. But the Hawks were up by five at the halftime break. They 14 assists in the first half, played well. Turned the ball over too much, but they shot the ball well from three. They were 8 of 20 from three in the first half. That flipped late. OKC only scored 54 points on 52 possessions before halftime. That's excellent defense. And um, by the way, only seven total free throw attempts in the entire first half of this game on both sides. So not a lot of whistles in the first half. Now that changed in the second half when the two teams combined for 34 free throw attempts. So it was much more of a slog after halftime, but kind of a brisk first half in a lot of ways. And uh, 14 for Murray before halftime. Bogey had 12. And uh, while Trey had a slow start, he picked it up a little bit in the second half of this one. All right, we're getting into kind of what transpired here in the second half. Obviously, it was not great for the Hawks considering they were up at the halftime break, up at the end of the third quarter, et cetera. But uh, a lot of nuance to touch on this one. And uh, I would certainly encourage people not to freak out too much about this result, but we'll get into all of that and why in a moment. First, though, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. We're looking for a DFS option this year at the NBA or anything else. Check out the award winning app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is Daily Fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. It's so very easy to use. I can vouch for that. I've been playing on Prize Picks for quite some time across sports and really enjoy the daily grind going through all of the numbers on Prize Picks. All you have to do is pick two to six players and choose whether they actually have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds or assists or other stats. And a prize picks worth 25 times the money on your entry. It's just you against the projections. It makes it very easy to navigate. And prize picks offers numbers on any sport you can think of. That includes the NBA, of course, college basketball, WNBA, NFL, college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, soccer. They have esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA and much more. Entries can be done in a minute or less. It's that easy and that quick. And PricePix also has safe and fast withdrawals, and they're operating in more than 30 states. That includes Georgia, and they're also in Canada. Download the app right now on the App Store. Or go to PricePix.com to sign up and play Daily Fantasy Sports. First-time users can also get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 when you use the promo code LOCKEDON. Do not forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON at sign up for instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at PricePix. Early in the second half was the high watermark, actually, for the Hawks in this game. An 11-2 run to open the third quarter to go up by 14 points. The Thunder didn't score for the first three minutes of the third quarter, and the Hawks held the Thunder without a field goal for almost five minutes at the top of the third. Okay, see missed our first eight shots, and the Hawks were certainly comfortable at that point. Obviously, it wasn't over, but they were ahead. They were definitely in control of the game through the first two and a half quarters. Then... Things got off the rails, but first I wanted to always say, see my trace out in a little bit. He got to a nice floater, had a couple, a couple of nice assists quickly, um, made a three, kind of gave that shrug, like finally one, one actually fell for him. He did not shoot the ball well in this game, nor did anybody else for the most part. But even then, like, again, he just kept missing jumpers like most of the team did. Rotationally, it was Culver coming in as the backup four. Actually, Jalen Johnson was lifting a little bit, actually had an ankle injury. They were ruling him uh, as probable. He came back in the game, but I'm not sure how uh, serious that might be or how much like that might bug him moving forward. He wasn't necessarily very good after halftime. I'm not sure if he was limited at all with that. And the Thunder came back in and kind of, I don't know, plugged away is the way I'll say it. For now, there was, a, there was a possession in the third quarter where the Hawks had a great possession of passing. Ball movement was fantastic. Swing the ball around, great zippy passes, uh, on time, unselfish, etc. And it ends up with Murray missing an open three. And it felt like, number one, the Hawks might have almost been overpassing, which I think you'll take. As I've been saying for a while, the Hawks need to be passing more, not less. And uh, that was a nice possession, but they missed it. And it was kind of a microcosm, a little bit of the game itself in the second half because the Hawks got quality looks and just did not make them. It was a 17-6 to run by OKC mid-third quarter to get back within two. Um, 
Colbert got his fourth foul. Shea Gilge Alexander was really cooking at that point in time. He was fantastic in this game overall. He's playing at all NBA level right now. The Hawks did um, get back to up by four, and then Congo actually had a bunny to go up by six that he missed at the end of the quarter. But and overall, the third quarter was pretty much even. They lost by one point, but the Hawks were definitely kicking themselves, I thought, for going up by 14 and then blowing it basically in a short period of time. And the Hawks had ball security issues the entire game. They had 14 turnovers through three quarters. That's way, way too many. More than they averaged for a full game and six, six alone in the third quarter. And the same thing happened in the fourth quarter when they just could not make any shots. There was a great spin move for a dunk by Kongwu in the first possession of the fourth quarter to give the Hawks uh, a four or six point lead, something like that. And then from there, the Hawks just kept turning it over and failed to score for a long period of time. It was a 9-0 run by Oklahoma City after that dunk by Kongwu. The Hawks missed five straight shots and they didn't score for like three minutes and suddenly were down by three points in the blink of an eye. So it went, went from up 14 to down three. I don't know, it's probably like 10 minutes of clock time. So not, not that fast, but certainly not uh, as quickly, uh, sorry, not, not as slowly as you would want. Um, they did finally get a bucket out of that from DeJounte Murray out of a timeout, but a couple possessions in a row that were positive on offense in that fourth quarter out of the wilderness. Trey got to the line, had a nice lob to Capella, and then Murray had a nice kind of patented floater mid-ranger that he does to get the game back to tied with five minutes to go. But then there were some challenges from there. First, they went to a spacing-challenged group that I did not like very much construction-wise. They went to a, a lineup that had, yes, Trey and DeJounte, but also it was Culver, Jalen Johnson, and Capella playing together. That is never going to work offensively, particularly in a, in a game where the Hawks were already scuffling on offense. Now, the argument against it, sorry, the argument for it, I should say, basically, is that Bogdanovich was maxed out on minutes and that A.J. Griffin couldn't play the entire rest of the game. I do understand that, but I, I think you probably would have wanted to go a little bit smaller maybe at that point, maybe even try Veed again. I don't know, go to Justin Holiday or something like that. Um, that just not enough shooting with that group, and they were unable to score. To be fair, it was already happening before that lineup came in, and they did go back to the Griffin as soon as they could, but that was definitely kind of, um, I don't know, exacerbating it a little bit at that point. They were down five with four minutes to go after a pretty unlucky sequence. This is one of those things that just kind of happens in an NBA game, but Capella and Jalen Johnson kind of played volleyball with the ball and finally could not get the ball to go through the rim on one end of the floor. On the other end, OKC scores a transition on a play where the ball bounced I don't know, five times on the rim and finally goes in the, goes in the basket. A four-point swing there, and that was definitely important. Um, Trey missed a good look out of that timeout when the Hawks already been already down by five, and then they fouled Shea Alexander, who made both, and suddenly they're down by seven with three and a half minutes to go. At that point, the Hawks had scored 10 points in like eight and a half minutes, and that's how you lose. That's just one of those things where you just cannot – they could not make shots. It could not um, get rectified. Griffin missed a wide-open three. And they just couldn't make a jump shot. Honestly, I, I circled it, uh, those numbers here. But at that point in the fourth quarter, with like three minutes to go, they were 0-7 from three, and they were 3-15 from three in the second half. Now, they made a couple after that when it was kind of not garbage time, but they were definitely in full-on catch-up mode. But in like the normal course of the flow of the second half, they just could not make any shots. And that was uh, very obvious. Honestly, got lucky at one point because Lou Dort missed a very makeable layup or could have been a nine-point deficit. Um Colbert got called for a charge. That was a big play. Dealt with uh, three minutes to go. And then down by nine all of a sudden. Uh, the Hawks didn't score for three minutes straight, basically. They had seven straight missed shots. And uh, finally, that, that got broken with Colbert getting a dunk and then Trey getting a three-point play. And that was their biggest point of life, I will say, late in the fourth quarter. They got down to within four with 146 to go. But then they had a brutal possession right after that where Capella did a great job keeping the ball alive on the glass. And smartly, because Capella's not the greatest finisher in the world right now on non-dunks, he tossed it to A.J. Griffin, again, pretty wisely. And A.J. missed like a four-and-a-half-footer short. 
and that would have made it four again. The Hawks were probably going to lose still. They were down by six. That would have made it four. But when that didn't go in, they fouled, and they were down by eight again. And that was a huge four-point swing with about a minute to go. And at that point, I circled this too, there were 17 of 48 from the field in the second half. They got Those numbers improved at the very, very end of the game, but man, that was indicative of how bad it was. There were some threes by Murray and Griffin at the very end to make it kind of interesting again. DeJounte got fouled. Their one final push, I guess, down six. Murray gets fouled shooting a three. If he makes all three, the Hawks would have been down by three points with 30 seconds to go, and they finally would have been out of the spot where they had to foul because for a while they had to foul every possession. If he makes all three there, you can play defense reasonably only down by three. If you get a stop, you get it back down three with enough time to get a shot up. But Murray misses two out of the three, and uh, they basically that was the end of that. There was a long review after, uh, on that play, by the way, he, that maybe caused some of that, but he made the first one. This is missed the last two, and then uh, that was kind of it, honestly. They had to foul down by five and, uh, you know, academic from there, basically. So as for kind of the takeaways from this one, um, the big thing was the offense did not have it going. And I, if you've been following the podcast for a while, you'll probably know what I'm about to say. But if you're not, the, this year, the Hawks have had all kinds of issues with second half and particularly fourth quarter offense. And I think the number one issue in those times this year has been that they've gotten very stagnant at the end of games. Houston and that loss that was a terrible loss was the number one example that I've been using and I will use again here. That game, Trey and DeJounte basically got the Hawks in a rut on their own, trying to play one-on-one basketball and the ball just stopped moving. It was one-on-one, it was iso ball, and it was brutal to watch. This game was not that. Now the results were not good, but if you watch the game back, uh, the process was not the problem. Uh, people, I, and I, I understand it because the Hawks blew another lead here, and we'll get into all this in a second overall. But if you actually watch and look where the shots were coming from and look where the ball was moving to, this this loss and the Houston loss and some of the others were not the same. This is a, this is a, this is a night where the Hawks just didn't make shots. And no, that's a convenient thing to say, but I promise you, after watching the tape and watching it live, the Hawks just did not make quality looks. That's really the short shortest plainest example of what happened in the second half of this game after halftime though they had a 98 offensive rating in this one that's very bad and an 84 offensive rating in the fourth quarter and that's basically all attributed not all mostly attributed to the shooting so second half the Hawks shot 37.7 percent from the floor and they shot 5 of 18 from three that includes two threes late from DeJounte and AJ in catch-up mode it was worse than that before that plus they had 10 turnovers now that's the part that we'll come back to in a second that is definitely in their control that they needed to do better at in this game. In the fourth quarter, it was even worse. 30% from the floor and two of 10 from three. And those two makes were at the very end of the game. Overall, a 105 offensive rating. Now the Thunder are well-coached defensively. They are uh, frisky defensively, but they're not great. And the Hawks scoring at a below average rate against them at home after off two days rest is not good. Now the biggest issue beyond the poor shooting, which just happens sometimes. You just have nights where you can't make shots. The thing that the Hawks will certainly be bothered by, and that's something Nate McMillan was saying over and over again in postgame, was that they turned the ball over too much. And I agree with that. So I, I did flag this coming in both on my Patreon, which is, by the way, patreon.com slash BT rolling for my written content, and also on the quick preview that I did on the show yesterday. Oklahoma City prides itself on creating havoc defensively. They are number one in the league in turnover creation. Coming into the night, they do a lot of active things. They play not not small on the perimeter. They're actually pretty big and physical, but they are aggressive. They try to make plays, and the Hawks played into that. They had 18 turnovers in this game. And the Hawks came in number one in the league in turnover rate, and they averaged like 13 a game or so. Uh, 18 
is doesn't sound like that much more, but that, that's a big swing, and it led to easy points for Oklahoma City as well. They did have 24 assists, though, and the Hawks, despite some bad shooting, the Hawks moved the ball well for the most part in this game. That's probably the number one point of encouragement of the whole night was that the Hawks did pass the ball well. They did move the ball well, and uh, that is something that you always hang your hat on going into the, the road trip that begins on Wednesday. The glass was actually favorable for the Hawks on offense. They had 17 second chance points. Most of that was Clint, but always good to have there. Um, below average free throw attempts, but nothing nothing crazy there. Uh, defensively, the Hawks were fine in this game. It's a 112 defensive rating. They're a little bit worse than you would think um, coming into the night, but it was like average-ish. I will say they missed Hunter and Collins quite a bit on defense in this one. Um, they did not have a great option to guard Shea, and while Shea would have beaten probably anyone in this game uh, with 30 points that he had, he took it to Culver and got Culver really in foul trouble in the, in the second half. Uh, and then Murray, while he is capable of guarding someone like Shea, is much better as a playmaker. And DeJounte is smaller than Shea. And you don't want to have to use him in that role. So this is the uh, one of the examples of a night when Hunter would have definitely been guarding Shea and would have probably been uh, someone who had a better chance against Shea than everybody else the Hawks had. That will, again, by the way, pop up on Friday when the Hawks go to Brooklyn. And uh, Hunter would be the guy you would use on Kevin Durant if he is back by then, maybe. I guess there's a chance he's back by then. That's a week plus after he comes back. For, sorry, after he had the injury. But if he's not back, you'll see that sort of in different form because this is one where Shea is more of a point of attack guy. Durant, the, the question will be just size. But anyway, they missed Hunter in this game. And then Collins, they missed on the secondary rim protection all night long. The Hawks did not really have anybody beyond Clint helping at the rim, rebounding, creating havoc on the back end. And Collins has been great defensively this year, and that was definitely a loss in this game as well. The Thunder had 24 free throw attempts, made 23 of them, 15-15 uh, from Shea. That was a big part of that, uh, him going at Culver. The Hawks also turned the ball over more than Thunder did in this game. Uh, that's not going to work. They allowed 58 points in the paint. That's something that Collins would help with, definitely, as well as Hunter. And just to be fair, OKC is number one in the league in points in the paint, but they were definitely getting past the point of point of attack defenders with ease at times in this one. And then transition defense was the problem. The uh, I'll say this. The Thunder had 19 points off turnovers. That's a lot. Part of that is just that turn, they turn the ball over a lot. But 19 fast break points for the Thunder. And it wasn't like terrible, but the Thunder had, I think it was like an 85th percentile number in transition frequency in this game. So basically they were able to push it down the Hawks' throat uh, to effectiveness per cleaning the glass. So that was part of the mix here as well. Uh, broadly speaking, though, and overall from a team standpoint, um, the number one thing that happened in this game, again, just to reiterate, was that they just didn't make shots. You could certainly argue that turnovers were a bigger problem or as big of a problem. I think Nate did argue that. Uh, in watching it and looking at the uh, at the box score and all this stuff, I think the number one problem, if I had to pick one thing, was that the Hawks just simply did not make shots in the second half. And the turnovers would have helped. More ball security is kind of the way the Hawks are built on offense. But at the end of the day, Atlanta took seven more field goal attempts than Oklahoma City did. Now, they took seven free, seven free throw attempts that were less. But in terms of shooting possessions, the Hawks got more shots up than the Thunder did in this game. And the Thunder simply shot better on them than the Hawks did, especially after halftime when the Thunder had 37 points in the fourth and 30 points in the third. All right, we'll dive into the individual player breakdowns in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. All right, we'll dive into the players now and a nine-man rotation for the Hawks in this game. The bench had a good first half. They cooled off a little bit, as, again, basically everyone did. We'll start with Big Krejci, who played the least and was the least effective player probably for the Hawks in this one. 11 minutes, 0-4 from the floor, 0-3 from three. They have three assists. I think you definitely see some intriguing um, stuff with the ball in his hands with Veet. That's always been his primary appeal as like a 6-8, guard-like player. The problem, though, with Veet is that he doesn't really shoot the ball very well. And uh, that's... 
the same as Jared Culver, but with Culver, you get the defensive intensity and more athleticism. Whereas with Krejci, he's big, but he's not someone who you can rely on to be a spot guy. So when you're trying to play him with some of these lineups, it's kind of a challenge. I was a little bit surprised they didn't go Justin Holiday. Maybe, maybe I'll make that change moving forward. But um, it wasn't like V was bad. He just didn't make shots, and that was part of the problem that everybody had in this one. Akongwu had a good first half for sure. Um, a little bit worse in the second half, but still played generally pretty well. Had a couple of huge dunks in this one. Nine points, eight rebounds. They have three turnovers, which is more than you would want for him. Three fouls at 18 minutes. Um, four six from the floor. I thought he was fine. I thought he played pretty pretty decently. A couple of low lights, but mostly highlights for Akongwu in this game. Bogey, it was kind of a tale of two halves. He talked about this after the game, um, but I started Nate. Um, he said, post game, by the way, Bogey is going to be respect, restricted to 22 to 24 minutes per game for maybe a couple more games, then up to 26 will be the next bump that he takes. Uh, he's played 22 in each of the first two games. But Nate said it first, and then Bogey said it second, that he had heavy legs in the second half. His shots were short, and uh, Bogey did acknowledge that he's actually in better shape than he thought he was going to be in at this point. That's out of his out of his mouth, but still not quite 100% in terms of getting his legs back. That was evident in this one. We saw in the first half, though, he was giving the Hawks the gravity that they're looking for on offense. And uh, when asked, by the way, about playing with DeJounte and Trey, he just flat out, flat out said, like, look how, look how open I am. And that's really true. I mean, it's part of the attention that is drawn by Trey and DeJounte. But I thought Bogey looked good in the first half, a little bit less in the second half. But uh, in general, the returns have been pretty positive, at least what I've seen from Bogey. And he had 17 points on 13 shots in this game. Uh, Jared Culver, same kind of thing as everybody else. First half. Really strong, second half, less so. And mostly because he got a lot of fouls and could not handle Shea. It's not really fair to Culver to like pick on him about that because Shea is awesome. Uh, but he fouled out in 24 minutes. It was minus 15 in this game. Did have nine points, five rebounds. He was active. I thought he played a capital G well. Sorry, capital G good, a capital W well after, uh, in the first half. Uh, Culver, the shooting thing is a problem. Uh, having him and Veet both be negative shooters is definitely going to hurt in some respects. But he does knows how, knows how to use space. He's an active, smart cutter he's a he's definitely been good at crashing the glass you know previous to his stop in atlanta culver has not really been a great rebounder but for three games he's been rebounding the ball very well so i've always kind of believed in culver the shooting is definitely what holds him back but i think he's played well i think that once once the game gets going though teams kind of figure out they can not guard him and that makes life difficult on offense which is definitely the biggest challenge for him in a world where he's still shooting you know somewhere in the in the 20s from three in terms of like a, a broad sample size but he's been playing well and that's addition to the roster uh, and definitely has been giving them some quality minutes overall and then to the starters in this one a mixed bag for sure aj griffin did not have his best shooting night in fact he has probably worst shooting night of his career so far um 11 points on 15 points. he was one of six on twos which is weirdly bad for DeJounte, uh, sorry, for AJ. He was three of nine from three. That's totally fine. Good volume there. Had uh, three steals, very active there. Two assists, one turnover. Just didn't make a ton of shots in this one, but actually he was a game best plus 12 for the Hawks. So maybe just like having the shooting out there was, was very important and uh, some of the swings. But I thought he played better than the numbers indicate, but just didn't have his shots go down in this one. Uh, Jalen Johnson, kind of a mixed bag. Seven points, nine rebounds. Did have three assists. One turnover, four fouls, just a little, just little things with Jalen's defensively. He had some breakdowns offensively. He his lack of shooting definitely hurts. He had a, he had an air ball at one point. Did, did make a three in this one, but the fact that the Hawks are basically playing four guys right now with their current situation, four guys at the three and the four, and it's Johnson, Griffin, Culver, and Krejci, and only one of those guys is really a shooter. The other three are not shooters, which definitely is a challenge. Um, but I thought Jalen had some moments, but certainly not a guy. I, I think it's I think it's both fair to say Jalen has a lot of impressive potential, and I definitely believe that. 
But at the same time, he probably is not the quality that you would want a starting a good team like the Hawks are trying to be starting and playing 30 minutes a game, which is not it's not what it's supposed to be this year. It's supposed to be Collins, obviously, but now he's thrust into that role. He's probably a negative in that particular circumstance. Um, Capella was really good in this game. I thought he had 14 points, 16 rebounds, two blocks. Did have four turnovers. I'm not sure like how those all went. There was one that it was a bad pass, but um, he was part of the problem there. But finished well around the rim, 70 percent from the floor. Um, he was active. He was good. As he's been all year long. Uh, Trey Dejounte. We'll get into those guys at the end here. Dejounte led the team and scored with 24 points. Uh, he cooled off too, though. He had 10 points in the first like seven minutes, and then was kind of just middling from there. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't like he was burying everything. Did have two steals and two blocks. He was active on that front. Three assists, six rebounds, but had three turnovers. And I thought it was just like a solid game for for Dejounte. Nothing spectacular. Trey just didn't have his shots go down in this one. Um, I thought in the first half, he was almost overpassing, which is probably the way you wanted to lean. Obviously, a lot of stuff hanging out there from the last couple of days and lots of comments being made. And um, I think that Trey is someone who hears that kind of stuff and maybe adjusts his play accordingly at times. I thought he was trying to be overly um, sensitive to that maybe in the first half and not looking for a shot a lot, not being super aggressive. Second half, he was definitely more aggressive and trying to trying to hunt a little bit more, but wasn't making shots. He was 5 of 12 on twos, which is not very good. And then 1 of 7 from three, that's obviously pretty brutal. Got to the line 11 times, made 10 of them. That's a positive. Had 10 assists to lead the team by a lot, but uh, not his best work. And honestly, I've said it before, but I'll, I'll re- reiterate it here. Part of the problem this year with the offense is that Trey has not made shots. Uh, I pulled some numbers after 20. So he's played 22 games this year, including tonight. In 11 of them, so one half of the games that he has played, Trey has shot 36.8% from the floor or worse. That's not good. Also, in 11 of 22 games, he shot 25% or worse from three. That's obviously bad as well. Uh, he already had his, his career worst efficiency numbers this year, true shooting, um, effective field goal percentage, all that stuff, was his worst of his career, even worse than his rookie year coming into the night, and it got worse with this performance. So, He's not absolved of wrongdoing there. I've said before, like Trey is, I believe Trey is a top five-ish offensive player in the league. He's still that in my mind, but he's going to have to start making shots at some point. He's not alone. Uh, There's a reason I saved him for last year. Like AJ didn't make shots in this game. Um, You know, a lot of guys didn't make shots. Having Krejci and Culver and Johnson out there, it makes your life difficult. But Trey has to be better than this from a shot-making perspective for the Hawks to be where they need to go. And he probably knows that. I'm sure everybody knows that. He's got to be more efficient. And I think it'll come. But, just, you know, through 24 games for the Hawks and 22 games for Trey, he just is not, is not having, he's not having a very good year offensively by his incredibly lofty standards. And that definitely was the case again tonight. Okay. So that will do it for today's game. Um, quick note here before we move on to the final segment of the podcast. Um, the Hawks now go to New York for two games. They play the Knicks on Wednesday. And MSG, Trey Young is a certainly someone who enjoys that trip to MSG every year. So we'll see if that breaks him out of a slump a little bit. And then they play Friday in Brooklyn. Uh, challenging games, not unwinnable by any means, but two road games against competent teams. The Knicks and Nets are not like the best teams in the league, but certainly on the road, you can have some challenges there. And without Collins for both and uh, at least one, according to the timeline from the Hawks, without Hunter, if not both, that's uh, going to be challenging for both on, on both sides. And Obviously, this is one of the reasons why you don't want to lose this game tonight is that now your schedule gets more difficult. Next four games, you might be favored in two of them, maximum, maybe. I'm not sure. There's this two-game trip to to New York, and then you're home for Chicago on Sunday where the Hawks should be favored in that game, and then they have to turn around and go to Memphis on Monday and a back-to-back, and the Grizzlies are pretty good. So um, anyway, challenging stuff there on the horizon. Now, we'll pivot out of the game, and again, just one final thought about the game itself a loss that I think will probably get too much attention because of the stuff I'm about, I'm about to talk about now with Trey and Nate and all the buzz 
and the fact that people don't think of OKC being competent like they actually are this year. But a game you probably have to win. And uh, it's a make or miss league in a lot of ways. I know it's like it's definitely a, tr- a trope, but it's also true. And the Hawks just missed a bunch of shots they have to make in this game. And that's, and that's kind of why they lost at the end of the day. Moving on. Some uh, video here, actually, that I want to share with you from Nate McMillan tonight. And we'll get into some audio at the very, very, very end of the podcast. But Nate came out. And this is uh, Nate's not a guy who ever really does opening statements in pregame or postgame. Some coaches will come out, especially in postgame, which kind of give you their overarching thoughts unprompted by questions. Uh, I know Boodles used to do that. Lloyd did that. Nate does not. Nate will always, always take questions, but certainly does not uh, give a statement. Tonight, he came out pregame. This is his first availability since the athletic article came out. And as a, as a reminder, I talked about this in depth yesterday on the show. But the athletic article dropped after practice on Sunday. So he had he had uh, basically had not spoken since then. So the first thing I'm going to play you, and the only thing that I'll play you from Nate, was about a two, it's about two minutes long, and uh, it's his full opening statement. So uh, here is Nate talking at the top of the pregame media availability on Monday night. Okay, look, I want to make a statement uh, first. I know you guys are waiting to hear from me. So, um, but I want to make a statement about an article that came out um, the last 24 hours. And I addressed the team about that uh, this morning. Uh, talked with Trey uh, about uh, this article uh, uh, this morning. And uh, I want to address you guys with that. Uh, a lot, part of coaching, is keeping your team together, keeping a group, a family together. And you're gonna have all kinds of situations, okay? All kinds of situations uh, that come up daily, okay? I have a staff of probably about 30, 35 people. If you include the players, the trainers, the coaches, all of those folks. Okay, so there's something happening every single day uh, that we have to address and manage and uh, a situation happened that is private, okay? It's private, it's no different than any other day. Uh, For me uh, and our group, and a story was leaked uh, about that situation. You know, those are things that we we don't normally talk about or address. You know, things happen with our players on the bus, on the plane, in the hotels. I mean, we're together a lot, we're family. Okay, things are going to happen uh, uh, during the course of a season. Uh, but I've addressed my team uh, about that. I've talked with Trey about that. We're moving forward. Uh, I, the one thing that I do want to respond, uh, there was a, a, something said about me um, telling Trey, Trey to not show up for a game. I will never, ever and have never ever told a player not to show up for a game, okay? That's just false, all right? So I wanted to uh, make a comment on that. Uh, As I told the players, uh, we're moving forward. We need to get ready for OKC tonight, and uh, that's what we're doing. And I'll take your questions on OKC. I'll let Nate's words stand there, but certainly uh, the one thing that, as you heard, that he flatly denied about what was reported by The Athletic is that he said 
um, that he he has never and basically would never tell a player not to come. And that was one of the things that was reported in there was that there was the ultimatum given. Um, you know, that's one of those things that like we'll never know for sure, but that was reported by credible people. I know I saw some people like kind of crapping on me reporting, like you know, Shams and Sam Amick are real reporters. This is not like a TMZ report. Uh, I get all that, but that's uh, all notable. And that's you know, Nate was fairly forceful there. I want to keep it in house and kind of said the same things that, that that Trey was saying that I'll play for you at the end of the podcast today. Elsewhere, by the way, I'm not going to play the entire video for you, but he was asked about, um, you know, basically a lot of different things. He said, Trey is a competitive kid. He understands that, that they both want the same thing. That's to win games. Quote, things happen. Things are going to happen. We're not going to agree on everything. That happens in your family, too. End quote. He said he wants to win big, and so does Trey. Um, and he acknowledged, by the way, that he has a policy about going through shoot-around, which is kind of one of the things that happened with Trey there. But he would not say what the policy actually is. That's uh, one of the questions that's still looming out there about Nate and all that. By the way, on the same topic, there was some more reporting via podcast. Uh, Sam Amick, who I talked about before, was the co-byline with Shams on that piece on Sunday, uh, visited with the Ringer NBA show today on Monday. And uh, that is worth a listen in full. It's like 30 minutes or so on the Hawk situation with Sam, who is very, very plugged in. And he has interesting stuff to say about the front office stuff. Uh, also mentioned Tony Ressler's son, Nick Ressler, as someone who has a lot of power in the organization. Nick has a role in the front office, but that's a, that was notable to me. It's sort of an eyebrow raiser. And has he, and also said he has a tight relationship with Trey overall. As far as basketball, the headliner probably from that comment, from the, that string of comments from Sam, was that, uh, basically about Nate's job security on the bench. He said, and I'm going to quote here in full, at the end of the year, if this team underperformed, could Nate be in trouble? Absolutely. Do I think Nate is going to get fired midseason? I really don't, unless they lose 10 or 20 in a row. That's our understanding, end quote, referring to him and Sham. So uh, people always keep asking me, even after the show yesterday, like, is Nate on the hot seat? Uh, I think the number one thing right now is that Nate does not seem to be on the hot seat whatsoever. I know Kevin Shannara was talking about like the vibes tonight. He was kind of keeping an eye on the bench a lot during the game and posted some videos. It seemed like everybody was okay on the floor. There wasn't like a, a freezing out or anything like that. It seemed like everybody was all right. Um, everybody's saying the right things. And uh, that's notable at this point in time. So I'm kind of ready to move on, at least for now. And I kind of downplayed it a little bit. It's not the end of the world. Is it great? Are the vibes fantastic about what's being reported right now? Absolutely not. I don't think it's a good thing for the organization. But at the same time, I don't think it's like really to the level of panic just yet, as I talked about a lot on Sunday. All right, before I get out of here, and this will be the last time that you hear my voice on this podcast, I, I just want to give you the entire context of Trey speaking to the media on Monday at Shootaround. So it got a lot of attention nationally. Um, there was some pushback. You'll hear that in the, in the audio here. He was talking to local media. Apparently it was uh, it was basically like the most attended Shootaround for the Hawks in a long, long time. Um, a lot of local media there that's not always there, TV, radio, etc. So uh, more attention than usual, as you might expect after the Sunday reporting. But um, yeah, that's kind of uh, how I set the stage. Only thing else that I'll say here, there's no video on this. It's only audio. And also uh, the quality, because it's at Shootaround, I say this all the time if you're listening to the podcast, but because at Shootaround, there are always like balls bouncing in the background, all that stuff. So keep that in mind, not the best quality in the world, but hopefully you can make out all the questions and answers. It's like six minutes long. So I'm going to sign off here and just kind of let you guys hear firsthand what was uh, the tenor of the conversation between Trey and the media. And uh, his, this was his only public comment so far because he didn't speak after the game. The Hawks uh, only put up uh, Bogdanovich and Capella after the game. So here is Trey speaking on Monday on the way out of the podcast. I do appreciate everybody listening to the show. Please subscribe to the podcast. Follow the show on Twitter at Hawks. Check us out at Apple and Spotify and Stitcher. Also follow my Patreon, patreon.com slash Roland. I'll see you guys later on this week. And uh, here is Trey Young talking to the media on Monday. Hey, Trey, how are you? What's up? Uh, 
from your a lot of y'all today. You all right? Yeah. <laughs> what about you? How are you? I'm great, man. <laughs> Bless. Bless. From your perspective, what happened on Friday between you and Nate? Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, it was just a, a situation. I mean, we're all grown men here, and sometimes we don't always agree. And uh, I mean, it's unfortunate that private private situations and private conversations get out to the public, but I guess that's what uh, the world we live in now. But uh, I mean, I'm just I'll just focus on basketball and focus on helping my team win. That's what I got to get to refocus on. But what's public is that you're not at the game. So why wouldn't you let? Man, it's not you. Uh, no, you at me, bro. Uh, I'm I mean, you're leader of this team. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard for people who don't know the full situation to, to understand it. So, I mean, it's, like I said, it's a private matter again. It made public, which is unfortunate. Um, and if it was stayed private, it probably wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But, uh, like I said, it's unfortunate. But my, my job and my goal is to, to win a championship, and that's all I focus on. But you can see the perception, looks right. You are a leader of this team, and when you're not there, it's yeah. But when you when you when you're an outside guy like you are, you don't understand in a private matter, in a private situation. Uh, you should probably stay on the outside. And like I said, it's unfortunate that everybody has to understand and, and know a little bit of the details that went on inside. But um, I mean, inside here, we're all good. And, uh, if you got any more questions about that, then you can you can talk to somebody else about it. That's all I gotta say about it. You agree? It's not it's not a good visual though that you weren't. No, not everybody understands the situation. No, I don't necessarily disagree on the, the choice that I made. So, uh, is there any issues with you and Nate, your relationship? I know there's been scuttlebutt about you, know, you guys have come back and forth and whatever. Is it just like minor arguments? Is it something major? No, like I said, I mean, we're all grown men here. We Sometimes we don't always agree, and that's okay. I mean, uh, we've had times where we agree on a lot of things. We agree on a lot of things. We disagree on some things. So that's okay. It's a partnership. He's a coach. I'm a player. Like, that's, that's part of it. It's basketball. Uh, like I said, it's unfortunate that you as a media member and you as a media member and everybody here found out about it because it, it got made public. But it's, it was a private conversation that got made public. That's all it is. Where did you shoot around today and when you play tonight? Yeah. As far as avoiding miscommunications going forward, how do you and, and Nate address those? We'll figure that out. Was it your decision not to be there on Friday? Mutual. When you go up against a guy like SGA and OKC, what stands out about him since the guy, you know, to really go in the season, I think, averaging 30-plus points per game? Yeah, he's been playing really good uh, all year. I mean, he's played really good his whole career. It's been tough. I mean, he's been on a team that hasn't really won too much, but... I mean, in OKC, they're, they're rebuilding right now, but they got talent over there that can, with guys that can make plays. And I mean, Shea is obviously the leader of that group, and uh, it brings a tough challenge to us. Trey, can you talk about the team, how they played Friday night, not with just you, but without John, and how good it was to see that? Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was a great, great team win. I mean, took advantage of them coming out slow, and us us making shots and being aggressive. It was it was important for us to do that to. Set the set the tone, and, and they did that, and and that, I think that's what helped us. I mean, when they were fighting their way back in the game, to still have confidence and make plays, and, and we did that, and we won. So I was happy. Trey, no. when you're the when you're the best player on the team, the centerpiece of an organization, obviously there's a lot that comes with that. Whether it's leadership, basically, whatever. Is that a role that you that you embrace? I mean, of course, I've embraced that since I first got drafted. And so, yeah, of course. Is there? Um, is there any more steps that you think you need to take in that area, whether it's maturity or leadership or the 
football. I mean, we, you know? we can always get better. Like I always tell everybody, I, I'm always trying to get better. I'm a sponge and learning, learning new things. I've had great vets, Lou, Rondo, Jeremy Lin. I mean, I've had some great veteran, veteran guards that I mean, I've helped um, teach me things and help me understand this game. I mean, even Vince Carter. I mean, other guys that I've been around, like even guys from other teams that I ask and. I'm just a sponge to learn new things. I don't know it all, and I, I never tell anybody that I do. So I'm just I'm just here to play basketball and win a championship and try to do my best. So. This, this is at least the second time fairly recently you go back to Coach Pierce's thing. You know, the big national story that probably did reflect well on your organization and maybe even you indirectly. I mean, how do you, how do you feel about that? I mean, we went to the Eastern Conference Finals that year. I mean, if you remember that too. So, I mean, I think it's, it's all about just focusing on taking care of what you can control. So, I can't control you knowing what, what happened in the in our private matters. So, I, I can't control that. Yeah, again, I respect what you're saying about the, the private of, of, of the locker room, the private of, of the practice court. We're not here. I guess it's just a public thing of you not going to support your teammates when you're healthy, but not going on the bench. So, where's the disconnect there? If I was healthy, I would have been playing. But, I mean, John was in a boot in Houston. Yeah, but you don't know the full story. Again. You want Again. No, I don't want it. So that's just, there's more to it. If you're being healthy, you just, I mean. A private matter needs to stay private. You touched on the playmakers that OKC has between Shea, and, but they also have Josh Gideon and Poku. How do you guys plan to go up against them? Uh, we went over shoot around today, and, I mean, I, people will see what we, we planned over tonight.